Hi, I'm Vicki Bolson, and welcome to Taking Care in Business, a podcast I created out of my passion for using business as a force for good. From environmental practices to social impacts and all that falls within the realm of corporate social responsibility, I'm always curious about how organizations are taking care in business. Well, hello, and welcome back to Taking Care in Business, where we talk with people who are working in organizations that use business as a force for good. And today, I'm really excited to have Jenny Morgan, who is the market development manager at a company called Tradewater. And what I really like about this company, and what I think you're going to enjoy hearing about is this isn't your typical uh, carbon offset company. They're doing much, much more than that. They are working to make the greatest possible difference in the fight against climate change by finding and destroying the most potent of greenhouse gases before they even are released into the atmosphere. And so I think this is a topic worth exploring because I know I get a lot of questions about how does this carbon offsetting work? And I find what Tradewater is doing to be um, just super fascinating. So welcome, Jenny. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Did what I say, um, was that fair? Yes, completely. Okay. Yes. Okay. Tell me, tell me a little bit more about, um, I guess, why you think that was a fair statement and what does differentiate trade water? What I really liked about what you said is that we are tackling the most potent greenhouse gases. And so at Tradewater, we're really proud of the way that we're taking big swings against climate change. So there are different types of greenhouse gases that impact the warming of the planet and can expedite climate change. The gases that we target have global warming potentials of anywhere between 84 to 10,200. And what that means is carbon has a global warming potential of one. So these gases warm the planet at a very high rate. And once they're leaked, they cannot be sequestered from the atmosphere. So trees, uh, any form of technology or nature-based solutions cannot take away from these gases being leaked. We basically have to just wait. And because of their global warming potential, they warm the planet very quickly. In the state that we're in today, we don't have time to be playing around with these types of gases warming our planet quickly. We need to be ensuring that they're not leaked. And then some of these long-term solutions that everyone's working on uh, ways to scale we can then buy those solutions time. Otherwise, we're we're setting ourselves up for failure if we're allowing these gases to continue to leak. Yeah. Gosh, it's just hearing you say that is it just it puts such an urgency into where we are right now, you know? And just, you know, I I've had the pleasure of talking to you briefly before this interview. And I just was so stunned at some of the just facts that you gave me, you know, the, like what you just said about how much more quickly they're warming up the atmosphere, you know, that is, I never knew that. Like, I, I just, that was something I didn't know. So I would imagine that a lot of your work at Tradewater is just educating the public. Yeah. Uh, 
an odorless, colorless gas is hard to find a personal relationship with unless you know. If you know, you know. But if you don't, we're going to be attracted to things that we interact with every day and the things that we can see every day, which are nature solutions or things that we may be discussing at the dinner table. And some of those solutions don't have as high of an impact as we'd hope. Honestly, I think we're all hoping that there will be somewhat of a silver bullet against this issue we're all experiencing. And it's really just not that clean. But what I did like before joining Tradewater and what made me want to join the team is that this specific solution is very clean. It's high impact. It's immediate. There isn't any technology that needs to be developed to hopefully do it in the future. It's ready to go. And I love that instant gratification that comes with destroying non-CO2 gases and preventing them. It, It really gives you that sense of power that we're all looking for right now. It's a scary time. Yeah, no, to feel like you're actually doing something that's going to make a difference because it's going to take a collective effort. You know, it's not something that's going to be fixed by the government or um, any one, you know, entity. So, okay, I would do want to talk about impact. You mentioned the word impact, but before we talk about that, can we, can you just explain like, for the average layperson, where are these gases that you're talking about found? How how are we seeing them or not seeing them? Yeah. So we destroy and prevent three types of gases, refrigerants, halons, and methane. So I'm going to put refrigerants and halons together. Those are both halocarbons and they're ozone depleting substances. These were produced at massive scale in the 80s and 90s and were banned from production because they deplete the ozone layer and then they also warm the planet quite quickly. So very toxic and potent gases. So when they were globally banned from production, there was this massive spike of supply and creation of these gases because the manufacturers knew that there would be high demand for them since they would no longer be accessible. You can find refrigerants in anything that needs to be temperature controlled. So your AC unit, your refrigerator, uh, you know, massive manufacturing units, and then halons are fire suppressants that are not water-based. So you'll find that in the aerospace industry or data centers, anywhere where you wouldn't want to spray a bunch of water if there was a fire that was occurring in that area museums even you wouldn't want to spray it spray water all over the mona lisa or something and so these gases were banned but then there's no mandate to actually destroy them so they're all around the world sitting in warehouses still being used um there some of them are there's some organizations that are actually kind of treating them like a climate ticking time bomb like they're maintaining them from uh not leaking but they're in metal canisters they will leak they have a valve on them I mean they're they're waiting to leak and so our job is to ensure that we find them as quickly as possible that we control them when we do find them and then that we destroy them as soon as possible as well Uh, the the third gas that we address is methane We're specifically targeting orphaned oil and gas wells. So these are oil wells that were drilled. 
there's no longer a business that owns them. It went out of business or some sort of um, sad paper trail story. And they're basically on a landowner's property and they don't have anyone to assist them with plugging as well. Methane specifically is very concerning because not only does it hurt the planet, but it also hurts the communities where they are leaking. And so we come out and plug these wells. These are the wells that no business is going to take care of it. Federal and state funding isn't going to take care of them. And if we don't restore the land back to its rightful state, it'll just continue pumping methane out into that air. Okay, so I hope this isn't a dumb question, but you, you use the word find. Are you finding these materials or are the companies finding you to get rid of them? We are mostly being contacted by organizations and individuals that have them. Um, there are some ways that you can find them, and there's been really cool heat maps that have been um, done by MIT and all of these different organizations that have their finger on the pulse of, you know, where these types of gases are being emitted. But usually we're being contacted by an entity about, hey, we've got this issue. Uh, for the oil and gas wells, we're working with the states on what wells have been petitioned to be plugged and which petitions have you denied so that we can then go to the landowner and ask them if they want that well plugged like they had requested their state to handle. Why would the state deny it? It would be about $400 billion to plug all of the orphaned oil and gas wells in the U.S. Oh my gosh. So there's just not enough funding to plug them all. So they are plugging some, uh, but we're not we're doing the ones that, that we're, you know, they're not touching at all. Oh my gosh. That's just a stunner. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know what to say to that. Yeah. It's a, uh, and it's really interesting. It's just, you see a piece of property of land and there's just metal pipes sticking out. And now you know that it's thousands of tons of methane is leaking from that one well. Yeah. You could, you can't see my face. <laughs> I am, my jaw is almost on the table. Wow. Okay. I so, do, I, I do feel compelled because the stats are shocking, especially if you don't think about these things every day. But I will say that climate change is something that we have the tools and ability to solve but it's like a marathon. And if you spent every moment running that marathon, thinking about every single step, you would lose yourself in that. Yeah. And so I do want to state that it is a one-step process, one by one. When done collectively, it can be very positive and inspiring and impactful. And these are big numbers, but you get to a million by going one, two, three, you know? And so uh, I do want to kind of add a bit of optimism just because the stats are shocking. I, I appreciate that because um, that is very, very true because I, I do think that it can be such an overwhelming topic for people that, you know, it's just, you just throw hands sometimes, you know, like I just, this is, uh, what can I do, you know? And right. I just think that, Obviously, we all um, 
we all are contributors to it. So we should all be concerned about it and doing what we can. And some of us are just citizens and some of us work for companies like Tradewater. And, you know, we're all, we're all in different places in our life. But I think being aware of some of the, I don't know, like I just, I just am fascinated because I didn't really understand carbon offsetting completely and had some questions about it, which I discussed with you. And then I just had such a great conversation a couple of weeks or a month or so ago with you that opened my eyes to new things that I wasn't aware of. And, um, and I think that's kind of what, what each of us can do, right? Each of us can do, we can like talk about it. It's just like diversity, equity, and inclusion. We need to have the conversations, you know, so we know how, how to listen and how to learn and then, you know, how to react. And so um, that's why I'm so glad you're on here today, just sharing this, because it's just probably an area that a lot of people haven't really thought about or considered. And, um, and I, I just find it fascinating. And I, I, I know you have um, a team at Tradewater of about 40 people. So just something that out of curiosity, how out of those 40 people, how many are out in the field, like actually like doing this, this work, going to the, the, you know, the, um, oil, what did you, what did you call them? Oil wells, oil holes and gas wells. So they've been orphaned. Yeah. The orphaned, that's the word I was looking for. How many are, for instance, doing that kind of work versus, you know, um, like you, uh, talking about, you know, what you do and, and, um, and, and these issues. I'd say about 40 or 50% of the trade water team is on the ground. And that could be anything from picking up quantities of refrigerants that have been found in a specific location and then driving them to a warehouse and then a destruction facility to be destroyed uh, other individuals are on the field, literally walking on a landowner's field and looking at a well and determining its state and ways that we can ensure that it's plugged properly. The plugging of wells takes a significant amount of detail um, and intentionality because the topography of the land can greatly impact the state of the well as as in addition to the way that it's plugged. So uh Plugging a well in California versus plugging a well in Indiana, that's going to be a completely different process just because of the actual land that's there. And we're plugging that well below the water level. And so it it takes a, a lot of due diligence to ensure that it's done properly so that we completely close out the problem. That is so interesting. It is just so interesting. Okay. So what kind of overall impact with these three types of gases um, have you made to date? So we've prevented 6.7 million tons of these gases from being leaked into the atmosphere. And we're on track to prevent 22 million tons by 2027. And to give, again, I'm throwing big numbers out, to give a bit of context, one ton of a refrigerant 
is equal to 1.4 homes in the U.S. being powered for an entire year. So one and a half homes being powered is one ton of a refrigerant. And that's what I meant by these big swings against climate change. The gases that we're tackling are so potent that it's remarkable the impact that we can have with even canisters that are you know, a hairspray size canister. So 22 million tons by 2027 is equivalent to a lot of homes. <laughs> it's a, it's a lot of impact. Wow. Okay. Go back to the original, the original number and say that again. One ton of a refrigerant is equal to 1.4 homes in the U S being powered for an entire year. So my house plus half of another house for an entire year is just one ton of a refrigerant. And with us doing millions upon millions of tons a year, it's yeah. going to generate enormous amount of positive impact. Wow. That is, that's, that's, that's totally awesome. Um, so not to, you know, put pressure on you. Cause you know, you go five years out or whatever. What do you want to accomplish in five years? What about in 10 years? Have you guys set well, goals for, for that far out yet? Honestly, it's just more, uh, preventing more and more tons. So right now we have projects in 13 different countries. We're in five continents. So I just, we want to expand that, be able to do it more efficiently right now. For the well projects, we're specifically in the Midwest and we're on a specific basin where oil and gas companies had been drilling for some time. And then these wells were then unfortunately orphaned later. But I mean, we're not even in the the hub of, of oil down in Oklahoma and Texas. And so um, hoping to just continue to expand our projects. Also, refrigerants, destruct, destruction of refrigerants is where we originated. We started that in 2016 in the US and now that's an international project. The oil well started last year. Who knows in 10 years what another gas project we could be tackling in addition to these three high potent gases. So we're gonna just continue to find ways to make these big swings against climate change. What's it like recruiting someone to work at Tradewater? I mean, have you... Okay, well, how do I word this? I'll just say what I'm thinking. So I have seen more people in the last 10 years, I'll be generous, getting into going to school for, you know, environmental science, sustainability, and things in that area. Um, are you seeing that you're able to find and recruit the people with the background that you need? Or are we years away from getting through the people who are interested? That's their career path. They'd have to get through college. Uh, how, how's that working out for, for you and for the industry as a whole? I'm a big believer that you don't have to follow a traditional path to get to the career you want. I have a hospitality degree. So, and, and every time I've gotten and, uh, you know, gotten to the next step in my career, it's because I've 
built the role I wanted within the role that I already had or volunteered in an organization that could supplement my skill sets. And I see that a lot at Tradewater too. Um, we've got lawyers, teachers, hospitality folks, event managers, and environmental scientists all in one place, very passionate about the same mission. I originally didn't plan on working for Tradewater. I brought Tradewater in as a climate partner for us when I was working for a tech organization. So I wanted to have an impact in climate and I just brought that into my role. So no matter what you're doing, you can be working in climate. Um, and the fact that climate and business are so intersected, risk of climate is risk of business. And so if you are integrating climate action into your role, no matter what it is, you are not only doing something beneficial for society and the planet, but you're also protecting your brand and your business and expanding upon what your what those possibilities are. So I'm if you want to get into climate in a traditional role, you can you know definitely go to school and take additional courses and go down that path, especially if it's going to be very scientific. Um, you know, we tackle things from an atmospheric level. So we definitely need those skill sets. But then if you are doing really anything, you can put climate action into your role and it it supplements it and makes it much more personal and impactful. Well said. I love that. I I mean, I agree. I think uh, everything that you said, as far as the specific question about finding people that will work in the climate change industry, all the way to bringing it into anybody's workplace, no matter what the industry is, um, because it is, you know, something that I believe, uh, I believe climate change is real, which is a good segue to my next question, which is what do you say to a person who says, I don't know if I believe in climate change? I personally don't hear that as much as others do, but then we are present on social platforms. So I have seen some debate online about, uh, you know, things that we're stating about climate change. I think a lot of it is more about, is it man-made and is this something that we should be concerned about historically that there have been spikes of changes in climate and so is what is happening now something that's man-made um i mean there was recent political uh conversations on that where not a lot of the folks raised their hands to state that they believe that climate change right now is man-made um i would just inspire those to look at the facts and also look at what we're experiencing and whether you think that the origin is X or Y, we are all experiencing climate catastrophes at a significantly increased rate. So if you don't believe that it's man-made or that it isn't something that we've done, what are we going to do to ensure that we're protected in this current environment nevertheless of you know where you think it originated so that would be my response to it uh just because there's so much scientific information and facts that 
prove otherwise. So I wouldn't really go into that debate at this point. Uh, I would more so focus on solutions and, you know, do you want to be able to go outside in Seattle in August or do you want to stay inside for the whole month due to wildfires? That's what I would ask someone. Yeah. So I want to kind of talk about the employees at Tradewater and working for such a mission-based company um, with great solutions. Um, You know, do you feel like the team as a whole is um, satisfied? Like they, they, they just, they're loyal. They believe in what's happening and that therefore that translates to, you know, job performance and sustainability and keeping them in their positions because there's, there's a lot of talk about if you work for a mission-based company, then you're, there's going to be more loyalty as a B Corps member. You probably read some of this because, you know, when we go through the um, certification process, we're asked a lot of questions about turnover and, and things like that. And the way I interpret interpreted them the first time we got certified was, ah, I think having these great benefits and being a mission-based company um, is, is key to keeping an employee happy and not having um, retention issues. What's your reaction to, to that? Well, as a B Corp, we go beyond just simply impacting the environment in a positive way. We also treat our employees well, treat the community well, get engaged in the community, uh, ensure our customers are satisfied and really partner with them. That's something that I really like. We we marry brand and impact together and we can provide that for some of our customers if they if they're interested. And so I think employees that are working at a location that are taking a job outside of the nine to five is really impactful while also respecting the hours of nine to five is also very nice too. Uh, So it's this really amazing balance that I personally have experienced that I feel fulfilled within a balanced structure by working at Tradewater. I could spin my wheels and put the entire planet's well-being on my shoulders. And I do feel that way at times, but at the same time, I'm working for an organization that treats one another with respect. And that respect also means that I've got two kids that I need to take and pick up from school and go to jujitsu tournaments and things. And so (laughs) I, think there's a value in that of respect so respect for the job respect for the output respect for your kpis but then also respect for the reality that we're human beings making money putting food on the table and also saving the planet at the same time it can be both yeah yeah that's 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 great that's that's really well said i do think uh respect for work-life balance because boy it would be easy and in your roles to just kind of feel like you, you could never stop. Like I can't work fast enough kind of mentality, you know, and that was going to be my next question, but you kind of answered it is, do you ever get to feeling that way? Like I can't stop working. There's just too much to be done. You know, 
I do sometimes. I do in my own home too. We have a lot of different receptacles in my house. And so we have a lot of different receptacles in our home. And if things aren't put in the proper place, I feel personally responsible of reaching into the trash and getting my dad's apple out of it. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's really important to me. I can get really sucked into the little things um, because I don't want to, I have this somewhat of this pressure that I've put on myself that I don't want to be a part of this problem, but I have to realize that I am, our world is not built to have this level of perfection, but I can do everything I can to try to continue to improve. So every few months I do a new thing. Um, I, you know, have, I shop local, I buy used clothes, I do things like that. Um, we've got a bunch of different TerraCycle and, and Ridwell and all these different things that I can sort my waste into. Um, I'm vegan, you know, I'm doing all these different things, but then sometimes I can get obsessed with the little things that I can't control. I think that's really the hardest thing about climate change is it, re it reminds me a lot of COVID and that experience where you can't control how the entire world is addressing this crisis. You can only do what you can. And that for me personally, just being somewhat of a type A micromanager person, <laughs> that is hard for me in life. Uh, it's hard for me in all aspects of life and parenting and everything. And so climate change is really tough because we need everybody to do something, but it's not going to happen in that instantaneous snap your fingers kind of way. So I have to really balance that in my own mind a lot more than how my boss or how my colleagues are treating me. It's more a, a personal struggle of what can I possibly do today that can impact the world, but then also allows me to walk as a family before dinner and get satisfaction from just living life so it's it's a constant reminder yeah I appreciate that you shared that thanks for sharing that that's really meaningful because I I know um that probably translates to people in various ways maybe not just with climate change but with maybe something else going on um okay I want to end this with asking you to do something kind of fun this just occurred to me because you were kind of saying a couple of things that you try to do something every day you said and um uh, and I add something new I think you said monthly uh I commit at the beginning of the year to 10 things 10 new things I'm going to do and then I kind of monitor and sometimes, I mean, there's some, there's some weird ones, you know, where you're like, never knew. Cause I research it too. Like to try to find new things, name five things that, that you can either, you can pick one of the two. This is a real game. You can pick five things that anybody can do, or you can pick five weird things like that. Maybe people don't know about that you can do for just climate change specifically. Yes. Or you can do a combo. <laughs> So five things that anyone can do for climate change or something that me personally can do. That anyone, that anyone, anyone can do. do. Or if you're not going to do that, anyone can do, you can do the five really unique things that maybe people have never thought about. Okay. 
uh, try to repair clothing or items in your home before you replace them and try give it a good go. So that would be something I'd say. Um, limit the amount of animal products you're consuming in whatever way you can in your life. Read Project Drawdown. Oh. Um, I would definitely read that online or in the physical print. They have solutions that are available today and outline them from one to a hundred on the most impactful ones. Ooh, okay. Uh, join a buy nothing group. Uh, you can do that on Facebook or uh, I believe they created their own app, but a buy nothing group um, to either give things out to the community or get your own. I'm currently hunting for a pale pink scooter. So that is something that my daughter wants. And I will, I know there's scooters all the time. So really the pale pink part is really the the struggle, but that's something that I'm a big fan of the buy nothing groups. There's good stuff on there and you can get rid of stuff easily with um, posting it there. And then something weird. Do, 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 do. <laughs> um, find, find your most used item in your house and switch it to something sustainable. So if it's, you know, you've identified that you do a ton of laundry, switch out your laundry detergent with a sustainable, sustainably sourced one and sustainably uh, packaged one, you know, something like that. Find whatever is your go-to thing that you interact with at the most and switch it to a sustainable sustainable oh, solution so great that's a really good one I love that one the last three I wrote down those are like as like look into it I the buy nothing looking into that okay this has been so fun so 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 fun um and informational so thank you for joining me um thank you I might have to talk to you offline about like when I'm dedicating to my 10 new things I'm going to do for 2024. I might have to get some advice from you, Jenny. <laughs> yeah, I, that would be so fun. I, I'd love to take some from you too. Okay. Well, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. My conversation with Jenny Morgan is one that has stayed with me long after the interview ended. Jenny is the epitome of how a person can merge their education and passion into a career and one that makes such a positive and permanent impact on the environment. She does this for a company called Tradewater and man, are they taking care of business. They find the most potent greenhouse gases before they are released into the atmosphere and destroys them. They've identified this threat. They're finding a solution and solving the problem. And all the while, this has made a business, a business that impacts people and their communities. It just goes to show that you can take your interests and your skills and create a business that people can be passionate about and want to work for. Taking Care in Business is hosted by Vicki Bolson and is produced by me, Morgan Hartman. Together, Vicki and I are part of the team here at Bolson Group. If you enjoyed today's episode and you'd like to help support our show, please follow and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
For the latest news and updates, be sure to check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Taking Care in Biz, that's biz with a Z, or by going to our website at takingcareinbusiness.com. If you have any questions, comments, or have a guest suggestion, you can email us at info at takingcareinbusiness.com. Thank you for joining us today and stay tuned for our next episode to learn more about using business as a force for good.